and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is, being interpreted, the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Okay, I'll start over. Imagine where Jesus was at this point. He was crucified, and on either side of him were two thieves. And there was a large crowd that gathered around and were observing where he was, who he was, basically. And they, in their minds, the crowd, had fixed him as being a part of a criminal conspiracy. He was in a bad situation. He was in a bad situation socially. People assumed, the crowd assumed, that he was as bad as the two fellows on either side of him. That's what they assumed. Now, the Bible does tell us, in a couple of other texts, that this was going to happen. I started to say that this was not of his making that he was there. But really it was. But at the same time, that, that situation is, is dark and, and dire. Here he was associated with criminals. And a large crowd was there of his contemporaries and people he knew. Some had left because they were afraid of what was going on, but others were there. His mother was there. Others were there, and they were associating Jesus with criminals. Now, that's not something that society looks, looks up upon. They look down upon criminals. But in Psalms chapter 22, verse 16, the psalmist said, talking about this day, Dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. He's, he's been gathered in to the society of criminals. Follow? They pierced my hands and my feet. Obviously, he's talking about Jesus then. The psalmist was. In Isaiah 53, at verse 12, it says, He was numbered with the transgressors, which means that everyone that looked on him at that time counted him as being at least a thief. Maybe more. We sometimes find ourselves in that type of company by choice. You know, my mother told me when I was younger, she said, she said, Billy, be careful who you run around with because you will be judged by your companions. Isn't that correct? Did your mother ever tell you that? Maybe your daddy, maybe a friend? 
Be careful of the company that you associate with. Well, Jesus did not, and I shouldn't, shouldn't I, I'm having a hard time making this statement. He did choose to be there, but he did not choose to carry on and hang with, as, as you can see, criminals, the criminal element. These were not his normal associates. However, there's some things involved in this that, that are important to us. I'm going to read another text. Three of, the, three of Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell about his crucifixion and the thieves that were with him, the, the men that were with him. Now, Luke says this in Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43. It says, one of the malefactors, and the other two texts tell us, Matthew and Mark tell us, that both thieves chided him. They railed on him. They joined in with the accusations that were being made and, and with the remarks that were being made about Jesus. If you're the Christ, come on down. Save yourself and save us also. The text tell us that both of them were saying that. But now in Luke chapter 23, it says, One of the malefactors, that is one of the thieves, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, something happened. During a short period of time, a very short period of time, one of the thieves had a change of heart. Think about this. The other answered, rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, seeing that you are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. One of these thieves, all of a sudden, one of these thieves had a change. Something came over him. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. They were paying for their sins. They were making their payment. Their payment was death on the cross according to Roman law. He was not paying for his sins. He did not owe anything to, to society. He did not owe anything to God. He did not owe anything to his fellow man, but he was making a payment. He was not only paying for his sins, but he was making a huge deposit for our sins, for the future sins that would become due later on. Peter made that statement on the day of Pentecost when he preached the first gospel sermon, what we know as the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. And he went on to say, after he told them that they needed to be baptized for remission of sins, if they wanted to please God and have their sins forgiven, then he went on to say, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Okay. So Jesus was paying a debt that he didn't owe. We, we sing the song. And he was paying future debts for future debts for those who believe in him and trust in him. But let's get back to those thieves. He was in bad company. Poor company. Criminal company. They put him there. What did he do? He elevated the people he was in company with. They did not draw him down to their level. 
he drew them up to his level. You see what he did? He improved the company. He did not reach their level. He improved it. He raised the level. He did not bring them down. He, he did not let them bring them down to their situation. He raised them. This was the effect that Jesus had upon the people whom he found himself among. He always raised the standard. He always raised the concept. He always raised the nature and the, the situation that people were in when he was with them. He always made things better instead of worse. He didn't come down to go along to get along. He raised the standard. He was often accused of being part of the fallen world because his detractors said he's just like everybody else, maybe worse. That's how they viewed him. He was accused of being part of their world and of, of his associations. But he was never confused with them. People could see him as being different. They never confused him. They always knew that he stood apart. He stood apart from everybody else. Even though he was among them, he was not of them. Follow me? That's what we, what we see when we look at the life of Jesus. His accusers grudgingly had to admit that he was not guilty of the sins or the behavior of his associates. Got it? They never confused him with the sinners. They tried, but they couldn't get him confused because he stood apart. He didn't stand out, but he stood apart. He didn't stand out because no, nobody could recognize him. Remember when they came to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas said, I'll show you who he is. They should have known who he was. He didn't stand out, but he did stand apart. They couldn't recognize him from physical characteristics or something that was unique about him. But when he was, in a, when he was associating with society, he did stand apart. And he made people better just because he was among them. Just because he was there. He was accused sometimes of being a devil having a devil and being devil inhabited but as a matter of fact he was casting out demons and so those who did not want him on this earth they thought well what we're going to do is we're going to associate him with the devils we're going to make him one of them because he's associating with them therefore he must be one of them That's, that was their idea if they could just tag him with the devil's reputation then they had him so we read a text in Luke chapter 11, verse 14 and 15. It says, He was casting out a devil, and it was, it was unable to speak, or dumb, it says. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spoke, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He cast out devils through Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. He's casting out devils because he is a devil. Okay, you get it? You follow? Verse 19 says, he replied, he says, If I am casting out devils by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? You, you, it's hard for you to follow this if you don't realize that they weren't casting them out. They couldn't. 
So the problem was their boys couldn't cast them out. But he was. Therefore, if their boys could not cast them out, they were associated with them. He cast them out, therefore he was not associated with them. You, you follow the logic? That's what he's telling them. Sometimes we don't get that, but it's there. In John 8, verse 48 through 50, it says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Didn't we say that you're a Samaritan and you have a devil? That's what they said. You've got a devil. He said, I don't have a devil. I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. He said, I don't seek my own glory. Now, if a guy had a devil, what would he do? He would puff himself up and say, look what I did. Look who I am. He said, I don't even seek my own glory. He said, but he, he, uh, there is one that's, that seeks and judges. wasn't just with the devils. But Jesus also associated, and he didn't associate with the devils, you see, but they accused him of that. But he did associate with sinners. Now that, of course, is pretty common. It was common during his lifetime. He was always around sinners. Now that does not mean that Jesus was, was hanging with the, with the mob. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that he went along with some of the things they were doing. Doesn't mean that at all. Doesn't mean that he was driving the chariot while they were robbing temples. Therefore, I'm not guilty of anything. I was just with these guys driving the chariot, and they happened to rob the temple and got in. And officer, I'm, I'm not really guilty of this. He didn't do that. He wasn't an accomplice in what they were doing, what people were doing, what the sinners were doing. He wasn't an accomplice. But he did fraternize with some. How? He ate meals with them. Not in a pub, turned, taking his collar off so he could be one of the boys. He wasn't doing that. He wasn't sitting around drinking in the bars with, his, with the people. He was eating with them, having meals with them. Okay? He was eating with publicans and sinners. They invited him to do that. Now, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 9, at verse 10, it says, It came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house in, in the house, and he was in, in the house of Levi, who was a publican. Many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why, do, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? What's wrong with that? They were associating him with publicans and sinners. They were saying, Because he's eating with these people, therefore, he is partaking of their mean and dastardly deeds, the things they were doing that were wrong. So he's associating with them. When he, said, when he heard that, he said, the reason I'm there is because they're sick. They had need of a physician. That's why he was there. They knew that. Chapter 7, verse 34 of Luke, it says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You say, Behold a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber. A friend of publicans and sinners. Well, Jesus was not a gluttonous man. But they're, they're making that association. Maybe there are some people that were. That's what happened. They had Bacchanalian feast. Maybe there were people that were, were wine bippers. Maybe there were people that were drunk. People say, well, look here. Jesus was a wine bibber. No, he wasn't. And he wasn't gluttonous. He didn't sit at the table of wine and drink to get drunk. He didn't do that. He was not a social drinker. Nor was he a glutton, nor, nor, was, nor was he an overeater. 
He wasn't. Th- he didn't do that. They made these accusations that he was part of anything connected with sinful activities. His detractors could not show any guilt. They couldn't show that he was guilty, but they, they wanted to reproach him, and they wanted to challenge him on that point. Now, Jesus answered these challenges. So what, what they're doing is saying, look, he's associating with people that are doing bad things. The point was, he was not associating in the things they were doing that were wrong or sinful. He wasn't doing that. He was eating with them, having a meal with them. Okay. John, John 8, verse 46, Jesus was answering some of these charges. A group of the leaders, Pharisees, were trying to get him into a conver- uh, controversial situation where they could challenge him that he was sinning. And he, and Jesus answered the challenge by challenging them. He said, which of you can convince me of sin? In other words, point to the sin I've committed. Point to it. Where is it? Where's the sin? Where's the sin I've committed? And of course they couldn't. He said, if I say the truth, you need to believe. And Jesus also, if you keep this in mind, he also was confronted by those who believed that he was breaking the law because they thought his disciples were breaking the law, the law of God. He thought the, they thought the disciples of Jesus were, were breaking God's law and Jesus was complicit in it. So here's a situation in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and the disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Now they had, a, they had the wrong application of the Old Testament use of the term Sabbath. The word Sabbath was given, or the, the law of the Sabbath was given, so that every seven days God said to his people, Take a day off. Don't work. Don't go earn your living. Don't go to any extra trouble for anything. Don't have any big banquets and big feasts. Don't, don't, don't have any parties. Take a day off. You know, that's why you get a day off today, whether you know it or not. That's why we in this country have a day off. As a matter of fact, we get two for some reason. We've got two. But God said, take that day off. And the people said, well, what if we take that day off? What about our crops? We're going to fall behind. If we take that day off, that means we're not, we're not plowing, we're not planting, we're not taking care of our animal stock, we're not, we're not doing all these things, we need to make money. And God said, no, I'll take care of you. Matter of fact, I'll give you twice as much as what you need if you just take that day off. Don't work. He didn't say don't eat. He said don't go work. These guys weren't working, they were eating. They're shucking corn, and, and have you ever done that? Have you ever eaten any maize? This wasn't what we know, know as white corn or yellow corn. This wasn't corn on a cob. This was corn in a sheaf. It was maize, small kernels. You can take that and chew it up and eat it. I don't know if any of you have ever done that before. I did it all my life as a kid. We did it. It was good, kind of like chewing gum after a while. 
But these men were not working. They were not earning a living. They were not selling anything. That's what Jesus became upset with people about when they went into the temple on the Sabbath day and were setting up their tables of commerce. They weren't doing that. Okay, it says, When the Pharisees saw it, they said, Behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. Well, they weren't. But they were trying to associate Jesus with lawbreakers. In Matthew 15, verse 1 through 3, it says, it came, Then came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, and here was another situation, they watched Jesus because he did eat meals with common people. When they invited him to a meal and his disciples, then they watched him carefully to see if he's going to break God's law. Well, what they spotted the disciples not going through a traditional washing. Now, the way they did this was they, they felt like people that were not of their caliber and their station in life, if they were not Jews who observed all the laws and traditions of the elders that they were sinning. And what they did was they said, well, anybody that's not a Jew has sin all over them somehow. They're dirty. They didn't say they had head lice. They didn't say they had scabbies. What they said was that they had sin on them. And in order to get rid of that sin from your body, because you may have touched something that a Gentile touched, or they may have touched you, before you eat a meal and get that sin in your body, can you imagine getting sin off your fingers? Before you can do that, you have to go through a ritual washing. Six pots of water. Six. Wash this one. The reason it didn't get clean was because when you wash in this one, somebody else may have already washed in it. So you've got to wash in the next one to wash off the water that you got on this one. Then you go to the next one and wash off there. Then the next, and go through six washings until you get all of the sins and the, and the uh, germs and the nature of the Gentiles off your hands of other people. Now, that would make you feel bad, wouldn't it? Somebody touches you and has to wash themselves six times before they can eat a meal. That's what they're saying. Well, anyway, they said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? So they were trying to get Jesus involved in this business of defying the elders. Because they washed not their hands when they ate bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Okay. Well, they, had, they, they were wrong in this, and so Jesus answered that. He, he raised their reputations. He enhanced their goodness. He embraced the best part of their natures. Jesus always brought people up higher and better. He never allowed anyone to bring him down into their evil or disobedient ways. He associated with sinners, but he could never be successfully accused of their wrongdoings. Now, here's a good example of this. Uh, he, he had a common thief among his disciples. Did you know that? There's a fellow among his group that was a thief. His name was Judas. Jesus was never accused of being a thief, but he was crucified with thieves. But he had a thief in his merry band of twelve, Judas. But Jesus was not a thief. 
He did not encourage Judas to be a thief or anybody else to be a thief, but there was one among them. Okay. Did he have a good effect on his men? Yes, he did. Judas, apparently, it didn't take with him. But on an occasion, here's an occasion where Jesus actually raised a man's morals and ethics and his own consciousness, like he did the thief on the cross, of who he was and where he was and what he should be. There was a fellow by the name of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. He was chief, it says he was chief among the publicans and he was rich. But he was little, little guy, short guy. And he heard that Jesus was in the neighborhood and he wanted to see him. So he crawled up in a tree, got up a tree. Ingenious, huh? He got up in a tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus came by, he looked, he looked up, verse 5 at chapter 19. He looked up and he saw him and he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at your house. A rich man's house. Now think about this. Jesus was a poor man. A poor man telling a rich man, I'm coming to your house to eat. Think about a poor man, a beggar, maybe not a beggar. Jesus wasn't a beggar. He didn't have a house. He said the son of man does not have a place to lay his head. He had didn't even have a change of clothes. Okay. They they uh, bartered or gambled away for his garment, the best coat he had when he was on the cross. He didn't have a home, didn't have a house, didn't have any money. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine, he became poor for our sakes. A poor man. Jesus was a poor man. And he told a wealthy man, I'm going to come to your house. Okay. Imagine with me a poor man going to a wealthy man's house. I'm not going to use Donald Trump as an illustration of a rich man. Maybe I can use Rockefeller. Or maybe, maybe we, we can use just any rich individual who owns an estate and a palatial mansion. Someone who just has everything. Let's, let's say he's a stockbroker. A day trader, not a day trader, but a stock trader, a broker. He's got a lot of money. He, he knows how to make money. And so a poor man is invited into his home. And let's say I'm the poor man. I'm there. I'm going to be impressed. I'm telling you I'm impressed. And this man's going to tell me how he made his money. And I'm going to look around. And I can see the, the uh, classic paintings on the walls. I can see the rich carpet. I can see the woodwork. I can, I can see all the treasures that he's gained over the times. I can see his wife and see all the rings and bracelets and necklaces and, and diamonds and so forth and all the jewels that she has. And I can see the big ring on his hand and the, and the, uh, the uh, Rolex watch on his arm. And I can see the nice clothes he's wearing that probably cost more than I make in a year. Suit of clothes. I can see all of that. And I can look at the man and I can, I can really admire him and say, well, and he, he's going to tell me how he made his money and how he can make me rich too. He's going to give me some tips. 
Here's what happened when Jesus went into that environment. That man was wealthy. You know what happened? That man was impressed. The rich man was impressed with the poor man. So much so that he stood, at verse 8, it says, He stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I'm going to give the poor. He didn't say, Lord, let me tell you how to make a, make a pile for yourself. He didn't say that. Something about Jesus, just him being there, made this man realize that he needed to do something good. He needed to do something good. He said, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, and if I've taken anything by deceit, I'm going to restore that person four times what I, what I stole from him. He was transformed. That man became a better man because he knew Jesus. Jesus did not become a greedy tax collector. Get it? Jesus did not go down. The rich man came up. He came up. He mingled with the ordinary people who had entangled themselves in the web of the devil. He always improved them instead of being overwhelmed by their wrongs. Gravity pulls us down. And the world pulls us down all the time. The world pulls us down and wants to pull us down to the level that the devil wants us or that the world wants us. The pressure is downward, not upward. There's no pressure on you to get better. The pressure on you is to get worse, to get down and dirty, to get as bad as everybody else around you. There's where the pressure is. Jesus did not succumb to that pressure. And as a matter of fact, the people who were pressured downward began to come upward because of his presence in their presence, in their society. He was never overwhelmed with their wrong habits and their wrong thinking. He did no sin. And here's our point. You ready? I think you know the point that I'm going to make. I said all of that to say this. We love Jesus. We know who he was and what he was. But do we know what he did and why he did it? He did it so that we know how we should behave and the influence we should have on people around us. He left us a solid example of how we should live and how you're wandering. I know you wander every day. How can I improve society? How can I improve my family? How can I improve my friends? What can I do to influence people to do better? How can I, in this society, resist the pressure to go down and come up instead? Peter gave this advice. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Be ye followers of me, Paul said, even as I also am of Christ. Okay. He said, I left you this example so you'd know how to behave yourself in society. Now, there's some, there's some problems. We cannot expect to go along with the world and just scoot along with everything the world's doing 
and do any good. We cannot associate with people in sin while they're sinning. Can't do that. It's impossible. We're not to do that. But we have to affect society somehow. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 and 10, Paul said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to accompany with fornicators. That means don't get involved in what they're doing. Don't encourage them in what they're doing. Fornication. Now this goes on all the time and it's all around us. Yet not altogether, he said, with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with the idolaters, for must need you go out of the world. Okay. So there's some, we, we have to stay in the world, but not somehow not be entrapped in the world and caught up in the world and dragged down with the world. Okay. Ephesians 5, verse 11, 12, Paul said, Have no fellowship with the untruthful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now, Jesus does not take us out of the world and of worldly associates, worldly surroundings, but he expects us to influence the society for good and not vice versa. Don't let the world make you worse. You make the world better. The question is how? Well, how did Jesus do it? I'm telling you, friend, these people... We're not listening to what Jesus was teaching when they saw him, but they knew when they saw him that he was not like everybody else. They saw that. Because of his temperament, because of his language, because of his habits, they knew he was not fraternizing with evil people and doing evil things. They knew that. And they were confronted with that. So, how did he influence people? Well, he said he taught them. He sure he did. He taught them. You can't always teach people. You can't always do that. But he wasn't teaching people when he was eating with them. He was just eating with them. But he was different when he was eating with them. He was a different person. They knew that he was raising, he was raising the temperature in the room up, up in the sky. He wasn't lowering the temperature and getting people down, on, well, down and dirty. He wasn't getting them charcoal dirty. He, was, he wasn't putting filth on them. He was raising their morals just by being among them. Just by being there. Okay. John 17, verse 11 through 15, he says, I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world. He's talking about his disciples. And by extension, he's talking to you. Okay. And to me. He said, I'm come, Holy Father, Keep through your own name those you have given me that they may be one as we are. He's saying, let them be just like we are. Let's be like us. Let's be the same. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those that you gave me I've kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. That's sad, isn't it? He said, I was able to keep them all except one that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, this is what the scripture said. Now I'm come to you, and these these things I speak in the world that they may that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. So you're not going to be accepted by everybody in the world. That's not going to happen 
if you follow Jesus. He said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil. He expects his people to be different. He expects you to be different. Not odd. Different. Keep that in mind. You're not an odd person. You don't have to wear a different hat than everybody else wears. You don't have to wear different clothing than everybody else wears. You don't have to show your, have different markings on your skin. Everybody else does. Sometimes people can recognize who you are because you don't have some of those markings. But the Jews were marked physically. They, the males were circumcised. And the women wore coverings over their head to indicate who they were, basically. You don't have to wear a burqa. He's not, he's not, going, to, he's not going to identify. People are not going to identify you by your clothing. You're not going to be odd that way. But you are going to be different if you follow Jesus. And if you expect to elevate the world, if you expect to bring society up instead of sinking down. For, Titus chapter 2 at verse 14 says this. Here's a word I want, I want to key on. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Zealous of good works. Let's key on that word peculiar. That word peculiar means simply this. Beyond ordinary. Beyond ordinary. You're not an ordinary person. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. You're a Christian. Not because you've got a word stamped on your forehead. Not because you wear funny clothing. Not because you're marked up somehow physically. Not because you wear your hair funny. It's because you're peculiar. You're beyond ordinary. Now, the first reason you're beyond ordinary is because you're distinguished by your habits. By your habits. How you behave. You're not going to behave like everybody else does. Ephesians 5 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love. As Christ has loved us, has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish jesting, nor talking, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. There's a, there's a statement that Jesus made over and over again when he ran across crippled people. And Peter and John said the same thing to a fellow that was at the temple in Acts chapter 3. He had gone up to the temple to pray. He's crippled. Jesus said to these crippled people when they came along, one fellow in particular, that they had to let down through a skylight, sort of. They removed the roof and let him down because he couldn't get up. He said, get up and walk. You know what Jesus is telling you to do? Get up. Rise up. Quit laying around, whining, complaining, muling, criticizing, being down the dump because nobody loves me, feeling sorry for yourself. He said, get up. Rise up and walk. You're not like everybody else. You're beyond ordinary. You don't have to get involved in all of these things that everybody else. 
Oh, I'm not popular. If I don't, if I don't go along with them, nobody will love me. You know, it's time. Our kids will say that. Kids will say that. But we're not kids. I don't see a kid in here. One little guy, he's not here right now, but he's here. Go up. Rise up. Get up. Walk. Get up and walk. We don't have to go along with what the popular crowd does just so that we can be accepted and think that people like me. It, people are not going to like you if you don't do what they do. That's right. They may not. What did Jesus say? Rise up. Don't go down. Don't go down. Don't go down. Don't stay down. Get up. Rise up. Stand above it. Now, you don't have to be, you don't have to shout and tell everybody and announce the fact that, hey, I'm a Christian. Look here. I'm not going to go along with you. You just don't do it. Don't do it. You're with your family, and your family's doing things they shouldn't be doing. They're sinking down. They're going down lower and lower. Gravity's got them. They're taking them down into worldly activities, things that you know are wrong. Jesus said, get up, rise up. Rise above that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to announce that you're not going to do that. Jesus didn't do that, did he? Jesus didn't sit down in the meal with people and say, look, I know you're Republican sinners, but I don't go along with what you're doing. He didn't do that. He just didn't go along with it. And they recognized that. People are out drinking, having a good time, getting drunk, passing the booze, and they pass it to you. Well, if I don't drink it, I won't be accepted, and they'll think I'm, think I'm acting holier than thou. Just don't take it. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to go through all this thing. Hey, I'm a Christian. I can't do that. You don't have to do that. Just don't do it. Just don't do what they're doing. Just don't do it. Pass the needle. We're going to shoot up. No, not me. You don't have to say, no, not me. You just don't do it. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to raise, you're going to raise the ethics in that crowd. People are going to notice, obviously. They'll notice. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to be an odd wad. All you have to do is being beyond ordinary. And by doing that, you're, you're not leaving a bad taste in people's mouth. You are an individual, and you are an individual because you have higher morals, higher ethics, higher standards. And eventually, others will recognize that. And you will raise, you will raise the morals rather than lower them. Paul said in Romans 14, 21, It's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby your brother stumbles or offended or is made weak. So whatever we do, we do not want to leave a bad example for somebody else to follow. The second thing, and I know I'm going a little long on this, but I need to tell you this. You are distinguished. Not only are you distinguished by your habits. You read the Bible. You talk about good things. You don't get involved in what the crowd is doing that's wrong. You, you don't do those things. You do good things. You say good things. You say good things. You're distinguished by your language. You know, there's a, there's a phrase that's, that's being said all, all along or being repeated all along. Somebody will say something and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll 
they'll be talking to somebody else and, and they'll be telling about a circumstance that they've got involved in and the person listening will say, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you, brother, I hear you, sister. Do people hear us? Do people hear you? You know they hear you. Matthew 12, verse 37 says, By your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Now, when you do not curse, when you do not reduce your vocabulary to four-letter words, when you do not use the vulgarity of the street, when you do not use obscenities, when you do not use expletives, you know what? The world hears you. They hear you when you do not curse. They hear you when you do not use bad words. They hear you. As a matter of fact, your silence by not using bad words is a deafening decibel. It is. It's louder than if you said something. If you don't say something, that you are distinguished, you are beyond ordinary if you do not foul the air with foul words. Now James says, in James chapter 3, if you can do that, you're grown up. That, that's what the word perfect means. It means grown up. Full. Full grown. You're not a kid anymore. Kids will say about anything. But after, after a while, kids have got to learn. They've got to watch their tongue. And the text says in James chapter 3 that, that, that the tongue is an unworldly, un, is an unruly evil. It sets on fire nature itself. It's remarkable what people can hear when you don't curse or use God's name in vain. You're extraordinary when you do not attempt to fit in with coarse language. Your silence is high decibel. So, how can I raise the level of goodness among people? You don't have to, you don't have to criticize people. You don't have to, in a crowd, you don't have to, you don't have to tell them where they're wrong or or go, go about trying to correct everyone, what you can do is just don't curse. That's going to raise the level. Did you think Jesus cursed? I know he didn't. You know he didn't. And he raised the level of language by his not cursing. And that's what you'll do. That's what you'll do. You live, and I live, like Jesus did. We live in the midst of thieves. That's where Jesus was on the cross. He was in the midst of thieves. And they did not let them take him down. He did, in fact, raise them up. We live in the midst of thieves. They are the ones who can raise the standard of bad behavior and bad language. We are the ones who can raise the standard of goodness and righteousness and decency and morality. You're in the midst of thieves, but you don't have to be a thief. Jesus wasn't. Shall we stand and sing our song of invitation?